You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. As we were going through the Emotionally Healthy Church as a staff, and we've been going through this over the last year, I and the other elders knew that we needed to bring someone on staff with the training and the language to help lead our church through emotional health and spiritual direction. So Pastor Tarek and Pastor Dave Daly and myself, we were praying about bringing someone on to help our church with the language and the expertise in the, in, in the area of spiritual direction and emotional health. I asked a really good friend of mine, an old friend of mine, who I've done ministry with years ago in Bakersfield, who also grew up in, our, in the youth ministry with my wife Ashley, and who was at that time a professor, an adjunct professor in the spiritual formation department at Talbot Seminary, to come and join our staff. Julie Barrios came on staff last year and has been instrumental in helping to lead our staff and our church in the area of health. And I believe one of the ways God has gifted her is prophetically. And as 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3 and 4 says, that prophecy is speaking to people, speaking to the church, Paul writes in context, which is done by both men and women for their strengthening, their encouraging, and their comfort. And Julie has brought strength and encouragement and comfort to this church family. She's a part of our family, and I can't think of a better person to speak on the topic today in our Emo Church series than Julie. So please give her a very warm welcome, Julie Barrios. Well, thanks, Dave, and thanks, everybody. I feel so welcomed uh, in this church. I've only been here about six months and I'm pretty fresh to San Francisco, so if you're new here, then the person on stage is about as new as you are, so I hope that you feel welcome here today. Um, let me start just by um, reading the text that we're going to begin with. And so we're starting with uh, Ezekiel 36, verse 24, moving through verse 28. And I just want to encourage you, if you are a person who feels more connected to God in listening to something, close your Bible and just listen to it. And if you're a person who feels more connected into reading it, then follow along with us. But um, let today be a day where you make decisions as to, as to how you engage the sermon and to what helps you connect with God in it. So that could be notes, could be no notes. So listen or read along with me. For I will take you out of the nations... I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. Lord, we thank you for these words of Ezekiel. To the children of Israel, Lord, 
And we thank you that ultimately this prophecy has been fulfilled through your son, Jesus Christ, who has given us a new heart and a new spirit, Lord. Lord, would you help us today to learn what it means to walk into that reality and live our lives in that truth, Lord. And Lord, would you help us today to be connected to your love? And particularly, Lord, would you help me to love the people in this room through the words that I speak? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Dave mentioned, we've been going through a series called Emo Church, also known as Emotionally Healthy Church. And Dave, in our very first week, a few weeks ago, told us about how in order to be emotionally healthy, we have to share our emotions, we have to share our desires, and we have to surrender and say, not my will, but yours be done. And then Dave Daly came and spoke to us last week about how our family history greatly impacts the way that we experience our life today, the way that manifests even in our Christian life, and even shared very vulnerably some of his own traumas and things that have happened in his family line that he has to bring into the Lord, bring to the presence of the Lord in order to live life with him. And so I I don't know about you guys, but I was really inspired by hearing Dave Daly's message last week. But I also had to think about how that related to, um, to me in my own life as a person who hasn't experienced a tremendous amount of explicit trauma. And so I hope today we're going to go in the direction of seeing how emotional health how a life of vulnerability applies to everybody, whether you've experienced incredible trauma, whether you've been through addiction or, or other terrible things in your life, or whether you've just kind of been sort of marching along. Uh, there's something for you here today. One of the things that we see quite clearly from the passage in Ezekiel is that there's this trajectory of sanctification that's starting to happen. Um, he is going to give them a new heart, and he's going to trade the heart of stone for the heart of flesh. And so you can just imagine this in your mind, this heavy, hard heart that is impenetrable, that could be used as a weapon, perhaps, or we can live life with this soft, permeable, penetrable heart. And the trajectory of the Christian life is a movement into the reality that Jesus has given us a new penetrable heart. For us to live into this, though, is a journey of a lifetime. And so I'm going to share a bit with you about what my journey has looked like in moving from hard-heartedness to soft-heartedness. And I hope that you'll find some ways of understanding the way God might be doing that in you right now as well. So when I was a kid, I was a very, very tender-hearted kid. And as I've been preparing for this sermon, it also happened to, to coincide with the week of my birthday. And so I was remembering myself as a little kid and how I used to experience my birthday. 
Yeah, that's me. Um, so uh, this picture kind of cracks me up because when I saw it, I, even like my posture, it's like I, I, I'm no good at like white knuckling anything. That's just not me. But I'm like kind of like, you know, on this, and I'm smiling, but it's a little bit tense. I'm like, what's going on here? But what, uh, what I remembered, though, as I was thinking back about my experience of my birthday is that uh, every time people would sing me happy birthday, I would start to get choked up. <laughs> I would start to get little tears, and I would be, like, fighting it, and I'd be so embarrassed. But at the same time, I'm like, but I'm so loved, and this cake is for me, and people are singing, singing to me. And so, um, and so I had birthday after birthday where I would dread this moment. And also, my dad's a photojournalist, so imagine, like, paparazzi just kind of click, 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 clicking while this whole thing's happening. And, and I knew it was going to happen, and people were going to... Uh, they're about to sing me happy birthday, and I'd just be like staring into the candle like, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. And, um, and that was my, probably one of, one of my early moments where I just decided, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna live in my heart. I'm just not gonna feel it. Uh, it's too vulnerable. It's, it's too scary. People mi might misunderstand me. What if they think I'm crying and throwing a tantrum? Uh, I'm not, I'm not, I just feel really loved and I don't know what to do with myself. And, and, and I didn't really even have the words then. I mean, in, in that picture that, that you, you see here, I think I was like four, I think I see four candles there. So, so I didn't even know what was going on. I just knew that um, when the lights go out and the candles are lit, I gotta watch out. So, um, so this was sort of just one little example of how I can see in my life God has been moving me, um, well, from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, because I wanted a stone heart at that moment so bad. I really wished I could just be a normal person that doesn't cry when people sing them happy birthday. But, but that wasn't true. That wasn't true. I, I, was, I was not that person. Um, but I lived into a hardness of heart in that area of my life, but not only in that area of my life, it, it was in many other areas. And so that's a part of what has happened to, I would say, all of us in this room, is that we've made little decisions, little tiny choices throughout our lives, where we made decisions to lean on our hard heart for the sake of a, of a moment of self-protection. And it could have been as a result of some horrible trauma, or it could have been somebody singing happy birthday to you. But either way, God is inviting us to let him soften us back to a place of really feeling our life for what it is. From the day we were born, we've lived in a world that it's not very gentle. There are disappointments. There are hard things all of us encounter. Even, even those of you with the most blessed and charmed lives have had experiences of being misunderstood, have experiences of being rejected or judged. And these things are heartbreaking to, the, to our, our human hearts, these, these hearts that God gave us that created us for perfect love. It's actually quite devastating to most of us. And when we don't realize that it's devastating, oftentimes it's because we've become so hard-hearted and calloused that we didn't notice that our compassion um, was wearing away at the same time. So we've heard it said, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. 
And when we say that, it's oftentimes with the idea that we can, if, if bad things happen to us, it just makes us tougher, and that makes us capable of handling even more that could come in the future. Now, first thing, isn't that a really bleak look on life? That a bad thing happens just to prepare you for the worst thing that's gonna happen in another month? I really hate to think that way, and I don't think that that's what God designed for us. But what if, what if it's something different is going on? What if that which is choking us, those bro broken promises, the disappointments, even the traumas, from a different perspective is simultaneously freeing us? And it's not that whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger in the way that a callus could allow you to endure pain, but what doesn't kill you may just make you weak enough to unclench your hands from the fruit of knowledge and reclaim the beauty, peace, and power that comes with being human and humbly surrenders to simply being the beloved creature of a holy, mighty, and beautiful God. What if these disappointments are tenderizing you? What if the things that have hurt you are inviting your heart into fuller expression than you even knew was possible? What if this is God's provision of love for you? Last week, as Dave Daly shared about sin passed through family, family lines in his genogram, um, it, was, it was so incredible to see how that all plays out. Um, but that, that's not all it means to be a vulnerable Christian. There's more to it than sharing the dark things and the secrets and, and confession. Those are incredibly important, but there's more. So many people in this room have something called explicit trauma. And these are bad things that happen to you that should never have happened. And this is horrible, and this is a part of our world today, and, and, it, and it's very, very sad that these things exist. But I could say 100% of the people in this room have something else going on. And that's implicit trauma. And this is good things that should have happened to you, but they never did. You should have had somebody to care for you when you didn't make that team. But instead, there was nobody there. And so you had to suck it up. You should have had somebody that cared about your birthday and sang to you. But that didn't happen. You should have had someone to help you know it was okay when you didn't get that perfect grade. But nobody was there for that. And those kinds of things isolate us and make us live our lives in such a way that keep us very locked up. And one of the things that the Lord is inviting each and every one of us into is relationship with Jesus where we don't have to keep them locked anymore, where we know that there is somebody who cares. And not just that he cares, but that he's created a family for us here where we're called to care about the disappointments and the things that have hurt. So, we resist so many subtle realities of our life 
It's these little subtle things that we don't want to be vulnerable about. The subtle disappointments, it's the, the bad grades, the, the, the unmet expectations. But when I was about 20, 22 years old, uh, after a good, long, probably decade of being in a, quite a lot of denial of my disappointments and living in a lot of kind of nonsense of trying to manage my disappointments through external means that seemed appropriate for my culture and family of origin, uh, something started to unlock, and this is how it happened. Um, I started graduate school at Talbot Seminary, and I was a part of a department where <laughs> they kind of just throw us into a deep, the deep end a little bit, and we were required to spend, and this is with each class, so it could be end up being several hours a week, opening to God about, God, who are you in me right now? What's going on here? And in those times of silence, what I started to hear was just how much anxiety and self-talk was actually controlling most of my life decisions and how much I had to spend my energy keeping those voices under control and avoiding any kind of experience that could make those voices louder. Time and silence will do that to you. I was afraid of the silence. It was not easy. And the fact that they required us to do an hour was, was painful for a long time. <laughs> but there was something more that started to happen as well. I started to, ha to gain the capacity to be honest with myself and honest with others and honest with God. And when I started getting honest with myself, that was a huge step and that was amazing but my goodness, how healing it was to begin to be honest with others around me. People who could actually receive and hold me in the midst of my disappointments and my fears and my anxieties. This was a gift. This, this was the streams of living water. This is what knit my heart to Christian community probably for the first time in my life in a way where I realized, oh my gosh, this is a big deal. This is just not showing up at church. This is a life of family together, and this is amazing. And it was. Uh, there were incredible people in my life who we were so committed to walking through the truth of what was coming up in our hearts as we sat with God. And, and, and we, are still, we are lifelong friends, even to this day, even though I don't even live in the same city as them anymore. It's been a huge gift. But what it also exposed in me was that there was so much in me that needed to grow in expression. Like I mentioned at the beginning, like, I, you know, I was feeling all this vague anxiety. It just it didn't even have much words to it. And it was when I began to uh, see what was in the Psalms and what was right there in front of me in Scripture that I had never really no noticed before. I've never known how to apply that to my life that the Psalms began to give words to my heart that had never been given words before. So that plus community uh, made for an amazing combination of healing. So the Psalms give us an encouragement 
But in Acts, we see a very strong warning as well. So there's a, sh a short story of Ananias and Sapphira. They're a married couple. They're living at the time in the early church where there is just tremendous sharing and people are so happy to live in community with each other. But people are giving or, or, or selling their possessions and, and giving to one another in a way that is so profound. And Ananias and Sapphira, they see what's going on and they get really scared. I can imagine them seeing this. It seems like there are people that had some means, and they're like, do we have to do that? I'm kind of paraphrasing what I imagine could have been going on in their hearts. Like, I want, gosh, should we do that? And, and so what they ended up doing was they, they did sell, and then they gave a portion of what they had. Now, this isn't a bad thing to give a portion of what you have, as long as you say, this is a portion and this is what I can do. But what they did is they claimed that they were giving their all when actually they were just giving a piece. This was very convicting to me because I could see that for so many years of my life, I was so deluded into thinking that I was showing up and bringing myself into, present, into the presence of God when actually I was just doing what I thought I needed to do in order to, to just kind of keep people away just a little bit. I'm going to keep keep my security for myself and I'll give uh, give my I'll give my little piece. So this is not a story saying you have to sell everything and give everything to the church. What this story is about is that whatever you have to give, you've got to be honest about what it is you're offering and about and be honest about what it is you're holding back and how scary it is for you. Because Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead. This is a big deal to God. Thankfully, I haven't seen him do that lately. <laughs> but, I, but my guess would be that many of us are much like them. We want to bring our strength. We want to bring what we have to offer but we don't want to be like the Roman soldier that says, hey, I believe. Oh, and a part of me doesn't believe, and can I bring you the part of me that doesn't believe too? God wants the part of you that doesn't believe. This is a part of living a life of vulnerability. So honesty with self, honesty with others, and the other people had to get honest with me too. I am so thankful for a, a, a dear friend who, she was my roommate while I was in graduate school, who had the grace and the courage to approach me after we had had a really difficult conversation where she shared really vulnerably with me. And I was really immature, and I responded in a really poor fashion. And she had the grace to come to me and say, Julie, you know, last night I really shared an important part of my heart with you, and this is what I said. And when you said this, it made me feel really loved and cared for. And when you said this, I felt dismissed, misunderstood, and unheard. What a tremendous gift that was to have someone approach me with that kind of grace and love and tell me the truth about myself. I hope that that's something that I can offer to others and others can offer to me and that you guys can offer to each other because when we begin to do that for one another, our capacity to love improves so tremendously and our ability to feel connected 
also just goes off the chart. So all of these things were adding up to more and more health for my life. But I also had to, to do some business with some difficult realities. Over the years, I had developed a ton of coping mechanisms for how I was going to avoid the tender parts of my heart, how I was going to encase my flesh heart with a, with a nice, strong stone heart. And uh, we often hear in churches about some of the big, uh, the big five, with a drug addiction, sexual addiction, alcoholism. I was thankful Dave mentioned workaholism last week because I think that's probably a big temptation. We think about violence or, or acting out in ways that, that clearly are, uh, that most of society would say, yeah, this is not a good thing for us. But there's much more. And mine were really subtle. And one thing about having really subtle and sneaky defenses is that it's really hard to hit that rock bottom point. It's really easy to deceive yourself for a really long time that it's not a big deal. But it was, and God was starting to make that obvious to me. So, I was not the hot mess. I was the lukewarm mess. <laughs> I was nice. I was really nice. People would say, yeah, Julie's a really nice person. Um, if I had a bad day, I could turn on worship music and it would help me feel better. And I could just kind of forget about all that stuff that I thought about during the day. I could, I could, I could avoid people that... Um, that pushed my buttons, and so I could maintain that niceness about me. Uh, I thought deep down that if I could just learn enough about God, that I would be safe. So I, I was ready to use my Bible as a sword, but not to like actually sharpen, but to like maybe slay people if I needed to. And um, and God was saying. Yeah, I, I really want no part in that. Uh, by my early adult life, my, I was wearing the, the self-protection in the form of gained weight. I was wearing it in, uh, in, in the way that I interacted with people that I, was, had, that I struggled with. I was... I struggled with um, being honest about my feelings with other people. Uh, I surrounded myself with, with codependent relationships uh, where I could be the good advice giver who was nice, right? And then uh, I spent too much money. And I spent it on crap. <laughs> and uh, I, I had, I had a, a closet full of, uh, of, of junk from... Forever 21 that was just kind of vomiting all over my room. <laughs> and, and, and I know that, that a lot of you are, are similar. Um, is this the stuff that, that, that any of us are, are freaking out about? Probably not. But it's good to notice. Because even, oh man, this is when I realized I had it bad. I remember taking a, a, a fast from shopping, and then suddenly, I found myself with a really strong need to go grocery shopping right now. <laughs> it's like, well, this is just silly, isn't it? That, 
yeah, it's not, it's not commercial spending on, on, on clothes or, or just junk, but man, something was giving me a little fix. Just, I mean, gosh, go to the store and buy some eggs. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that feels better now. It's amazing. It's amazing. I, the, honestly, like, I'm not shocked by anything anymore. Like, we can use almost everything to distract ourselves from the feelings of vulnerability that come just by being a human. We hate it. It was the temptation of Adam and Eve. They just wanted to be like God. They just wanted the knowledge of good and evil. That's my temptation too. And God's saying, just let it go. So the things I mentioned, they might not be your stuff. You might be more obsessed with the way you look, your level of education. You might keep tabs on your social media. You might want to have the most interesting Instagram. But the big one, my guess is that could be the most tempting to the people in this room, is Christian moralism. Christian moralism is obsessed with doing good without honest conversational relationship with Jesus. I was tempted to this for a long time, and to be honest, I don't know if I even knew another way. But Jesus takes no part in that. Because he wants you. He wants you. Not your works, he wants you. So Jesus lived this perfect life that was tender, that was vulnerable. He did it because he wants us. Because he knew that we would need someone to go there with us. And he said, I'll do it. I'm ready to walk there with you. However vulnerable you have felt, he's been there. However misunderstood you felt, he's been there. Abandoned, he's been there. So we lived a life of vulnerability. What scripture tells us, not counted to be equal with God, but humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. He allowed himself to be moved by the realities of life on earth. He didn't trump his heart with his head. He allowed himself to be moved by the people he loved, the injustices he saw, the sadness he encountered. These things moved him deeply. And because he lived from his identity of being the beloved of the Father, and abided in constant relationship with him, he was able to live a life of love, continually present to God, to the truth of the world he lived in. And this eventually led him to his most vulnerable state. To love is to be vulnerable, and this is scary. It's terrifying because it most certainly does lead to death. It's not a question. All of us in this room are going to die one day. And in our lifetime, we're going to have to make the decision as to whether we're going to fight the death of our flesh and, the, and hold tightly to that control and self-protection or if we're going to let it go. And this is the type of death that we're encouraged, invited, and required to take up our cross and follow Jesus in. It's a tough grip. It's a tough grip to let go of. And because it is so tough, the Lord orchestrates our lives in his sovereignty. 
And he is using your life circumstances to help you release your grip. You can live the life of vulnerability when you recognize that God is discipling you toward tenderness through your life circumstances. It's the stuff that's happening. It's the primary way God's discipling you. It's the things that happen throughout your day. It's the disappointments you have. It's the struggles in your marriage, in your relationships. It's these fears. It's, it's, it's all of this material. It's the stuff that God is using to, to nudge at your heart, to invite you into expression. Second, having a heart that's penetrable by subtlety is the way that God is shaping us. If you look at Luke 12, you can see that Jesus seems to assume that your anxiety could be quelched by the thought and the vision of a lily. He says, don't worry. Remember the lily. He assumes that your heart is so permeable that the sight of something beautiful could lift your spirit. You have this capacity in you. You have this heart in you. And the invitation is to live in that. We're also invited to be free from concern from our own safety. I read this from uh, Malcolm Gladwell just, just a few weeks ago, where he talks about the kind of courage that was displayed by the French Huguenots. He said that they saw just about the worst kind of persecution that anyone can see. And what did they discover? That the strength granted to them by their faith in God gave them the power to stand up to the soldiers and guns and laws of the state. In one of the many books written about Le Chambon, there was an extraordinary line from Andre Trocmé's wife, Magda. When the first refugee appeared at her door, in the bleakest part of the war during the long winter of 1941, Magda said it never occurred to her to say no. I did not know that it would be dangerous. Nobody thought of that. A vulnerable life is a life lived without hyper-attention to one's own safety. Malcolm Gladwell later goes on to talk about his own temptations, that if he had been in that world, he would have been so consumed with calculating the risk that he wouldn't have acted courageously. We live in a city that's all about calculating. And while some of that can be good and beneficial, the idolatry that comes with it has to be addressed. The other Christians in France, he goes on to say, weren't so fortunate. They made the mistake that so many of us make. They estimated the dangers of action by looking at outward appearances when they needed to look on the heart. If they had, how many other French Jews might have been saved from the Holocaust? We gain so much newfound compassion and tenderness for those around us when we can let go of our need to protect ourselves. And this reaches forward into our future generations, but it also reaches backward. 
I had the most amazing experience right after Christmas when I was driving through Fresno, which is where I was born, uh, with my brother, and we stopped to visit my grandparents. My grandmother has had a pretty trauma-filled life from her early years. She was one of those children that people adopt through sending money in to some third world country. And now, several generations later, she's got two grandkids who have been through seminary, and so I'm excited for her legacy. But what she told us that day was, Julie, I don't know, I don't know if I'm really a part of God's family, because I've been to Baptist church, I've been to Catholic church, I don't know, what, what if God doesn't receive me? And it just broke my heart, and I could feel, I could feel so deeply this love for my grandmother that longed for her to live with a sense of security in God's love for her. And I asked her, Grandma, would you like, would you like Matt and I to baptize you right now? Because Jesus has adopted us into his family and he's given us the authority to invite new people into his family. And would that help you feel more confident to know that you are part of God's family? And she said yes. And so I went to the kitchen, I filled up a bowl of water, a mixture of water and tears, I just walked into the dining room my brother and I sat next to her. My brother speaks Spanish and I don't. My brother prayed with her. We blessed her in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And she prayed for us and for our family. She prayed so much gratitude to God for his adoption of her. The love of God infiltrates generations and it goes forward and it goes backward and he might be doing it through you. There's new life in the power of the resurrection. The resurrection reminds us that we're going to die but we're going to live. There's no sense trying to live in resistance to that. The way, way of vulnerability will undoubtedly leave you to many kinds of death. And we walk into these little deaths with Jesus. And though we might feel like we are decaying, and though even in this series you might feel really, really disoriented, remember for a moment that Lazarus stank in his death clothes before he was resurrected, and Jesus was dead for three days in a tomb. So if you go through seasons where you don't know what's going on, keep hope and surround yourself with people that have hope for you that you're coming back. There's a painting that's been very important to me as I've been walking this out in my own life. It's a painting of Caravaggio's. And as you can see, it's a very vulnerable depiction of Thomas with Jesus. Jesus 
resurrected body still has his wounds in place. Thomas, as you may recall, doubted in the resurrection. But it was the resurrected wounds of Christ that invited Thomas into faith. There's a warning here and encouragement as well. If we're too afraid to be honest about our wounds, to allow them to go through the death and resurrection process, we never get here. You'll know if that's true about you because you'll feel a defensiveness about talking about certain things. And if that's the case, my invitation for you is to consider the gentleness of Jesus who invites the child to come to him. He's inviting you to share your hurts. That will take you on a journey of healing where those wounds will no longer be something that debilitates you, but they will be the power of God. So as we take communion today, I want us to remember what it is we're saying yes to as we take in his body and blood. We are saying, yes, Jesus, I want to be like you. We're saying, yes, Jesus, I believe that you died and you rose again. I believe that because this is true, my energies don't need to be spent deflecting and protecting or defending. I'm just yours. And feel free to say to him, and there's a part of me that doesn't even believe this. Would you help me with my unbelief? Tell him the whole truth, not just the part that sounds good.